Nothing I can do, nothing I can say. You'll do what you want to, go your own sweet way. You'll go your own sweet, your own sweet way. I say you go your own sweet, your own sweet way. Poor baby. I'm sorry you had a bad anxiety attack. Hugs, baby. Hugs and love. I'm just kind of waking up, but going back to sleep, so. Um, yeah. Love you, baby. You're listening to Lulu, Lulu Island. Island. Lulu Island. Yes. 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 Alright, heads up. Before this next segment, I'm feeling pretty emotive and oversharey. So if that's not your thing, skip on past. Hello, darling listener. I hope you're well. I hope the sound of my voice talking about some of my dark feels maybe connects with you somehow. I'll try to stay grounded when I'm talking so that I don't trigger you with your feels. But I'm going to talk about some things... From the past, from the present, things about this system, this infrastructure we're in called Anchor, this platform, as it were. Let's just shift this microphone a little. <sighs> yeah, my raison d'être, since. I fell through that rabbit hole in February 2017. And what a year it's been. I'm looking out at my secret garden. There's a golden orb spider constructing a magnificent web between uh, some sort of shrubby tree and a French penny tree almost directly in front of me kind of layering the symmetrical lines of the hills hoist the classic Australian hills hoist drying like washing line <clears throat> there's a lovely gentle breeze coming through the window and all I see is trees and washing that I need to bring in. So where does that bring us? I was here staring out a different window at my front garden every day. I was really sad. My heroes, Harmontown, the people I thought were my tribe, 
they came to Brisbane and did some shows and the first night was in Brisbane <clears throat> and I got to go and uh, it was amazing. I was right up the front. I still had um, limited mobility then so I had my um, mobility walker with me which is kind of super awkward. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I paused to cough then because I don't want to go down Harmontown memory lane. I want to talk about what happened when I got to Anchor and Brad and I hadn't been intimate for quite a while. Um, a bunch of stuff had happened before that and we both realized the relationship ended years ago. That's why we've been able to be a part of the reason we've been able to be such good friends is because we both know that we weren't really like romantically entangled so much. I mean, really, he became like just almost like a parental figure for me with my illness. It really changed our dynamic. I know it's not like that for everyone, but I certainly, you know, I admit I became infantilized in body and mind. I still feel that way, I still feel I am, and right now in my life, I'm really working towards stepping up, getting a flat made in, living within my means, not just blowing this money I've been able to access from a retirement fund that was put aside, sort of, <clears throat> for me by the government, but through my employment anyways. Basically, I'm on the brink, and a big part of getting to that place is even getting to the point where I'm able to eat regularly, because I haven't been able to. I've been too mentally unwell to consistently eat. It's been a real thing. It's been one of the hardest challenges to date. So back to where we left off, uh, yeah, things are real right now. Anchor is here to anaesthetize me, so when shit gets craptastic, I need to do whatever it takes to keep myself safe and to keep my forward momentum going. And if you're someone who's hate listening to me right now, um, why are you doing that? I know you think I hurt you. Um, he hurt me too. He reached out to me, you know, in that storm. He tried to get me. But I wouldn't let him. I worked so hard to get away. So will you please stop what you're doing? You've already done enough damage already, surely. But if you feel the need, then keep on hate listening. If that's your thing, for the rest of you... <laughs> 
That must have been weird, I know, um, except for some of you who are in the know, I guess. And just opening up because that's what feels right. That was. <sighs> There's the stutter. That's been a hard one to come to terms with. Been through a lot of trauma lately, including dealing with the reactions of my suicidal ideation getting a little more amped up by the difficulties I was having with eating and my focus. I don't know if some of you may remember, I just was like, okay, I'm going to conmari myself to getting a flatmate. I'm going to conmari myself out of this situation. And I just pushed myself and I remember I ate nothing but bread and um, sausage for two days and then I stopped wanting to let people know when the ideations happened I started wanting to hide them and I could tell that was a bad sign and so I told someone and that someone at first seemed great because he had experience you know he himself had um, attempted suicide a couple of times and he had been in recovery for many years <clears throat> but I didn't know that he subscribed to a particular paradigm well I should have known from our conversations this is Randall the philosopher guy <sighs> I'm devastated to have lost his friendship but he nearly got me locked up in a psychiatric ward for what was a <sighs> a reaction to medication so just to backtrack um, Randall was the first one to recognize how sick I was because uh, I told him, hey, <laughs> I don't think this is good, right? And he's like, oh dear, you're much sicker than anyone realizes because you're able to disguise it so well. And I said, well, I guess, yeah, well, you know, I keep trying to tell people I'm not good and I'm not, and I'm drowning, but I don't really feel like they're listening or I just, whatever, things just aren't working out and I'm just here alone drowning. Um, yeah, so there is that. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm going to step in. And and I said, yes, please, just take over because Brad's over it. I don't want to ask him anymore anyway. And so Randall stepped in, which was great until it wasn't, you know, um, he really overstepped a boundary when he contacted my doctor behind my back um, and he's still unrepentant for that behavior so we're no longer friends but wait there's more I also pretty much no longer have a family I want to revisit the time that everyone in my life scared the shit out of me um, I cut myself. I was having a really bad reaction to some medication that Randall and I went to the doctor. I was so triggered. I My PTSD was so bad. I took Randall in with me. He knew what I wanted 
conveyed and I had to lie there on the bed and just have the headphones in my ears the whole time just to stop myself from having a full-on PTSD episode. <clears throat> um, so Randall spoke to my doctor and I'd already said that there was this medication, antidepressant medication called Valdoxin that I tried before and it had been fine. So that was all done and organized and I started taking it and the, after the first night um, it was like I'd taken ecstasy which I'd only ever done once because the down the next day it was so bad it was like this is not worth it. So I had one day of full-on mania um, like really my my friend Kate said she's never seen anyone so manic as what I was. And I can't remember how many days of depression that followed. Um, mm, at least three. Um, yeah, but I uh, went off those pretty quickly. But, uh, it really hurt my brain. Um, and then it got worse with the ideations. And then one day I was thinking, it was the day after the manic episode, because Randall was burnt out from that. I know. And he has mental health issues, but he didn't check himself. And for that, I'm not very impressed with him because that was the deal. You know, I said, are you sure you can handle this? And he's like, I've got my own support network and I will keep myself in check. And I went, okay, you know. So I guess actually that's the first time I realized that's really what I'm upset about. Because <clears throat> we, you know, he promised me he'd check himself and he didn't. And that had negative consequences, significant negative consequences, cognitive damage for me, because combined with everybody else, including my mother, nearly getting me hospitalized, um, <clears throat> on this particular day where um, Randall had been there the day before, but it, he, he'd been sort of like passive aggressive towards me, or maybe, yeah, oh, time is squishy, sorry. But I'd told him about the box cutter. I later found out he did look for it, but he didn't look that hard. Because <laughs> I found it was, yeah. I found it the next morning. I knew it was there. Um, and then I went to take it to my neighbor's house, Roxy's owner's house. Because I knew the area I had the key to where there was the washing machine it was also a tool area and I could just put it there and it would be sort of like a KonMari thing like place it somewhere but before I went I looked at it I was curious because I'd been I'd had this obsessive ideation about box cutters starting with this rusty box cutter I'd seen and <clears throat> I have a heap of them I'm an artist you know Stanley knives what I call them um Anyways, uh, so I, the, the blade was rusty and I sat down on this chair before I walked over to my neighbours and I pressed the rusty blade 
very lightly against the skin on the inside of my wrist twice in similar markings to what I see, I've seen my niece who's a, a cutter do um, and then I replaced the rusty blade with a clean blade and I made these little scratches but they were two scratches that changed how I saw people forever. At the time I wasn't even sure I broke the skin. It was that light and the blade was that sharp. It was a fresh blade I'd pulled out of the handle. So I was curious. Why am I so fascinated with this? Why do I think that this is going to bring me some kind of release? And so I let people know. I let Brad know. And he freaked out. And, and then it cascaded from there. And people were so aggressive towards me. At the time, I even described it to them as, I'm on the floor, and you're kicking me repeatedly while asking me to understand your good intentions. Do you not understand how this is not helping me right now? If you really want me alive, why are you all doing this? Uh, but I said I would remain calm, and so I would ground myself, wiggle my fingers, rub my belly, rub my fingers, side of my fingers together, touch my nose. Where is my gravity? There we go. So, after the box cutter incident, um, things got pretty crazy, and then with that came more cognitive decline and the stutter and worse memory and then Christmas um, with my dad and not talking to my mum and my dad telling me on the way back that I was unbearable to be around and he'd been criticising me and my ukulele playing and he said it was humiliating seeing me play my ukulele and sing in front of his professional musician friends that, you know, he couldn't believe I did that and I'm unsupportive doesn't even begin. Brad um, thinks my dad's a dick. He thinks my mum's kind of a dick as well. Not as big a dick as my dad, but he's still. When Kate asked him about getting help from my family when I was going through all of this, Brad just shook his head and said no. There's nothing to be gained from trying. Because we've been through it before. Oh, wiggle my toes, rub my belly between my fingers, rub my nose. Where is my gravity? Where is my gravity? Where is it not? Where is my gravity? So yeah, Yukai, Christmas in Yukai, I have a heap of recordings of this cool storm that I haven't been game to go in because I've got a heap of recordings of my dad and stuff down there when we had no power so I couldn't upload to Anchor, I just, yeah, did voice memos. 
so are starting to feel alright, you know. Um, the food thing has been a big issue because with all this trauma, um, and also now not talking to mum, not talking to dad, can't talk to my sister Michelle because she's mentally ill and can't help but tell me the bad things people are saying about me, which make me unwell. And on my psychologist's advice, I have blocked them. And my dad and my other sister, I guess she's busy. Um... I also don't have a phone at the moment. <laughs> Although she could iMessage me. Anyway. So recently I was having troubles eating anything. Um, it's just like I've lost so much weight. Um, and then I started to regain it. I gained a couple of kilos, I was happy because it meant I was starting to eat again and then after Christmas it's been tough. The reason why eating is so tough because I know somebody said to me, oh, I know it sucks but it, you know, I'm kind of jelly because Jesus Christ I wish I could lose this weight. And that I know is, you know, my shit, but still, you know. <laughs> What's more um, impactful is the mood swings, the shaking, because I think I'm, if I'm not diabetic already, I'm close. And so, yeah, um, as Paul O'Mahony um, recognized on Anchor version 1, even then I wasn't taking care of myself. He was saying, for God's sakes, woman, make sure you have nuts in the nuts and seeds in the house all the time. He was like, you can't do this to Kevin, and, and I know why. That's a whole other story. <sighs> so, food. My psychologist, who's amazing, was over here and she was in my kitchen watching me eating this nectarine that she'd brought over. And I was just not even really paying attention. She said, how does that nectarine taste? And I said, um, stone fruity. And then I think it clicked for her and then she came up with the idea of me doing mindful eating and I then translated that to KonMari eating, gratitude eating, because I already have that groove down of the KonMari process of gratitude. So I just kind of slotted it in because it's, that's a good way to start a new habit is to attach it to a, a previous schema. Some of you may have heard the expression neurons that fire together, wire together. Basically it means that these, this new programming can co-opt the blood and electricity that's already going to the area around KonMari stuff to then add food gratitude to that to make it easier than trying to just create a new neural network around food gratitude alone. <clears throat> so anyways, uh, I've been doing that and that's been successful. Uh, it's been still hard because things like realize, talking to my therapist and realizing that I needed to block my mom and my sister, my sister, like one of my two sisters, the mentally ill one, oh, that 
that cuts me deep. It's so hard. I'm just, I'm in survival. Like, I'm trying to just be able to eat so that I'm mentally stable enough to live with another human being in my house that I can't, I haven't been able to afford the rent on for eight months or more. So yeah, there's that. And now this. Out of the blue, I see this chick pops up on a friend's station because I see the reply. And I'm curious. <sighs> to a fault it would seem because I go and check out her station online and then I see a segment and it's about my boyfriend. And I know it is because I know the story because I was dating him when it all happened. And, yeah, I'm not going to speak for him. But I think he was pretty hurt that she would misinterpret him like that, you know. And also, you know, she, she made it so explicit that it was him. And he has a lot of, you know, female listeners and it's a real... It's, it was really important to him that it was a trusting, safe space for women. And he thought, and he, you know, I'm sorry for speaking for you, darling, but I just, I feel the need to say that, you know, to those women who are listening, like, he really cared about how that might come across to you, how you, what kind of feels you might have about that, hearing that he had curbed someone for having kids, basically, um, but it wasn't, I mean, he, he and I very much, like, in the throes of romance at the time, and there, I won't go into his reasons, but that's for him to say, although he can't say, because now he's not here, <clears throat> he decided to fight back openly, <laughs> and Anchor decided that they would use their terms and conditions to decide that that wasn't okay. So my boyfriend's been kicked off Anchor and on top of that I'm having all of this sexual abuse trauma triggered by the person that he was trying to smoke out because of his abhorrent behaviour towards me and other women on Anchor. And at least one of those is on public record on Twitter. Eloisa Veldesh. <sighs> she tried to fight Anchor and they wouldn't listen either. BTW. Um, but enough said about that because, I mean, if you guys are listening, Anchor... Can you please, you know, I am, I'm a disabled autistic lady. <laughs> so could you please at least give me a heads up before I have misinterpreted, I have not been able to read your mind as to what you decide to be appropriate or inappropriate as per your terms and services agreement? Could, could I please have at least, could, could I have a warning shot please first? Because that didn't happen for my baby. And he's tougher than me, so, you know, 
He's not taking it so hard, but I miss him. I also don't have WhatsApp right now because I don't have a phone, so it like sucks double. And then, yeah, I feel so vulnerable, you know. I'm just like, why is this chick still out for me? Why now, you know? Why this way? What's to be gained? Doesn't she know by now that I'm a victim of this guy too? <sighs> Maybe she doesn't feel like that with him. Maybe she feels like the victor. I don't know. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. I don't want to know anymore. I'm not going. I'm not doing the web listener thing. I mean, that's really creepy anyway. I know. It was voyeuristic. And she was such a big part of my life. Like, she trolled me for months. Like, because there was this um, loophole. Even if you block someone, they could still go to your station. It's still a loophole for some people. And they can listen to segments from other people, like call-ins and stuff. Or stuff that you echoed, I think, as well. And so she would... I don't know for how long, it was at least, I think it was like two months solid, I'm sure, where every single day, every single segment that she could access, she would clap exactly three times. And if that is not trolling, <laughs> and I sent screenshots of all of that to Anchor, and they were like, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do, our hands are tied. And now I know that's not true, because it's up to their discretion. And that bites... But guys, please don't kick me off, for fuck's sake. Please, I beg you, I love this community. I'm not trying to be an adversary to you. I just want to play. I, I don't have anything else to live for. I don't have anything else to live for. So please, let me stay. And if I'm crossing a line, let me know. And I'll not cross it again. Us Aspies, we're good that way. Once we know the rules, once they're explicit, we're cool. So that's where I'm at, everyone. Here's a whole lot of talking to make up for a whole lot of not talking. <laughs> Because, I mean, what the fuck do you say? Except, <sighs> I want to say thanks to Trudy, a.k.a. Condensation. And thanks to my boyfriend, Damien Black. And also, Kevin No Malone, uh, Mark Ward, Georgie D. People who've emotionally supported me. So many more. <laughs>
said it myself occasionally and thank God I've changed my thinking to not thinking. Not thinking means no judgment, no taking egoic positions, simply present. That's simply pleasant way to be and that's good enough for me. Nothing's worth getting excited over, even rolling in four-leaf clover. I'm smoothing out the roller coaster ride, sanding the rough edges and cleaning out inside. Ah, life is but a dream, sweetheart, they sing. The truth is, life is suffering. That's what Buddha said. Death is unavoidable, full stop. Acceptance is the way, take the drop. Say hello, say hello um, listeners of Lulu Island. <laughs> hello, listeners of Lulu Island. <laughs> Three years old, I've heard my mother say I'd put 
the little Fisher Price man in the Fisher Price car, and I push the car away, and that's how I'd start my play. It was telling, she'd say. And I hear so many sad stories of men broken by life circumstances, and then, in turn, they take it out on women. Who, in turn, take it out on women and children and men. And the cycle goes on again and again. We can't keep pushing away our little Fisher-Price men in their Fisher-Price cars. It's not about separating the good ones from the bad. It's about bringing them home again and teaching our little girls and our little boys and our little everything in between us that we all belong at home instead. Yeah, would you start it from the beginning for me? Listeners of Lulu Island. <laughs> We're at the Western Markets. What's your name? This is, this is uh, and my name's Alex, and this is City Farm Markets. Uh, City Farm Markets, sorry. <laughs> and I don't know where I am. And, and can people find you anywhere online? Uh, not really. No, but that's all right. Just well, market. here. You're online here. <laughs> Thank you so much. And what was your name here, sorry? Alex. Alex. Thank you so much, Alex. You're right. You got to tell me.
What? 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 Song lines can be very complicated. The word song lines comes from the English translation, obviously. It's in English, song lines. In our culture, we understood the whole area where we lived, but also the structure of trade and ceremony. So you'd move from one piece of your where you belong to, to another clan group. And so you'd have to move through the land. So song lines are actually maps of the land. To give you an idea, you got a, a group of say 100 people, men, women and children. They're living in an area, they're camping there, they go out hunting. The men go out looking for the emu, the wallaby, the kangaroo and the fish and so forth. The women go out looking for the, the seeds and the wild fruits and things that they will use for cooking. And so what happens, as you're going out to hunt over a period of time, you have to go a little bit further. The animals get a little bit scarcer. Our culture you do not destroy. So what would happen then, the warriors would report back the women would report back it was getting scarcer and further to go to hunt and to gather their food source. The elders would come together, they'd have a meeting, and then they would decide it's now time to leave that area. You don't destroy it because it has to regenerate and regrow again. So we move on before we destroy it. And so they will sing of the land they're moving into. They'll sing of the rivers, the bend in the river, the rock formation, the trees, the food source that's found there. And the people knowing the land intimately, they know exactly where they're going. And as they're going along these tracks or song lines or maps of the land, they'd be singing of the earth because sacred areas, sacred places, things that have happened in the past. So they're singing and chanting all the way along and giving thanks to the earth, to the mother. The English see that and they see now people and they call them song lines because we moved around the land to protect the earth. We were natural greenies and ecologists. I remember the segment. Yeah. Now it's clear as day to me. I was talking about sex positivity as I was embracing my own inner sexual being and saying it to the world, this is how I'm feeling, this is who I'm growing into being. It's something at least that's coming out of the ashen remains of my relationship with someone who I've spent so much time, 17 years worth of so much time with, that in the end, at least we can still be friends. But throughout that, anchor has been there and I've told my truth and I have shared. But this time, clearly, I shared too much by admitting that I identify with the <sighs> word slot, embracing it as something that is an alternative to the heteronormative. But for my openness, I was rewarded with so many call-ins from this man I recall is a Christian by open identification, a musician by occupation, and a pursuer of the affections of women out of necessitation to feed his need 
which seems to be insatiable. And temporarily it was for me. 17 call-ins, I believe. I still had them. I published them as a podcast, you see. As well as the reactions from the community to me saying, what do I do with these? Some said, publish. Why not? Call him out. So I thought, well, perhaps that what I should do so okay I did for three hours only and oh my head oh my god sweet lord I never listened directly but people told me of the well to call a spade a spade slut shaming I received for what I felt was brave Because at the time, I learned that it was not just me who'd been burned. In fact, I'd held my secret for months after I blocked him. But at some point, all my blocking was undone. And therefore, his columns came back to me. And around this time, freakily, two other people came into my life telling me of similar strife with this man. Fuck him, this man. What makes him feel like he can say things to me like how he and his ex-wife weren't compatible sexually and how he felt that this was unfair and somehow he needed to tell me even though 17 calls ago I had said nothing. But he kept going. And even after me, even after receiving a warning, since Anchor did not respond to me at all, nor did they respond to the many, many tweets of Eloisa. Look in her history. It's all there to see. Anchor ignored us. You tell me, like, is it cool that the guy who stood up for me is now no longer here but someone else who harassed me still allowed to be out there behaving badly because it wasn't just us three there were more there were more and that's the horror that Thank you.